questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Famergus, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, and believe me, you want to benefit from doing so, just click on the subscribe button. And as you know, Veritas is more than paranormal. It's more than the mysteries of the universe. We deal with many topics. Health and wellness are coming now. What used to be Sanitas now will be coming to Veritas. But we also discuss the economy, finances, investing, and how to circumvent a financial collapse. Many of you have contacted me for years asking to bring back Catherine Austin Fitz. She was in the show many, many years ago, and all subsequent invitations she has declined. So I respect her decision. Why? That's unknown to me. If you want to have her back, she's always welcome to come here. The door is always open for her, but uh, I don't understand why she doesn't want to return since I speak the financial language. And so does she, and she also discusses the more esoteric topics. So it would be a great combination, but in lieu of having Catherine Austin Fitz, we have someone else tonight, and you will not be disappointed. And if you want to get in touch with me, have a guest suggestion, have feedback, or want to be on this radio program, I always love to hear from you. Click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. With the new year, tonight we discuss economic predictions for the next decades and how to protect yourself from a financial collapse. And to tell us more, our special guest is someone who has been requested for quite some time. His name is Peter Schiff. Peter is an economic forecaster, an investment advisor influenced by the free market Austrian School of Economics. He's one of the few forecasters who accurately and publicly predicted the 2007 housing market collapse and subsequent 2008 financial crisis. His latest best-selling book, The Real Crash, America's Coming Bankruptcy, How to Save Yourself and Your Country, warns that the 2008 crisis was just a prelude to a larger sovereign debt crisis in the United States that may lead a collapse of the U.S. dollar. Peter recommends long-term investment in foreign markets with sound fiscal policies, as well as global commodities, including physical precious metals. And we have a more comprehensive bio, including the titles of all his books and the names of all his companies and websites right on our website. And directly from Westport, Connecticut, I would like to welcome Peter Schiff. Hello, Peter, and welcome. How are you? Oh, I am well. How are you doing today? Excellent, and I'm so privileged because for for years, and I have to tell you right from the beginning, you stated years ago that there was going to be a real estate bubble, and many people ignored you, including me, so I'll be humble about it. So why don't we begin with that specific fact? What prompted you back then to predict that? Well, I mean, I understood the effects of Fed policy. Uh, I knew that real estate in particular was particularly sensitive to interest rates because most people, when they buy a house, they, they, they buy the monthly payment. They buy the mortgage payment. And so as interest rates were depressed, it kept mortgage rates low, even as housing prices were rising. 
And then a lot of people were taking advantage of adjustable rate mortgages, which were particularly inexpensive. And a lot of them were interest only, where people weren't even making payments of principal. They just paid the interest. And when the interest was extremely low, thanks to the Fed, people were able to buy much larger houses or much more expensive houses than they would ordinarily be able to afford. And so I saw this and I saw the impact that rising real estate prices was having on the economy, on consumption, on the ability of people to transform their real estate riches into spendable cash by refinancing and turning their homes into ATM machines. And I saw the lending standards going out the window and, uh, you know, the proliferation of uh, no dock, no down payment mortgages where people could buy houses without any money. In fact, there were certain circumstances where you can get cash back. You could actually buy a house and get money. Uh, so it was it was really a crazy time. And it was amazing how few people could see what the government was doing, what the Fed was doing to the market. And, of course, then you had the direct intervention. The government was guaranteeing mortgages. Uh, and, in fact, the biggest buyer of subprime mortgages were Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which is one of the reasons they basically went bankrupt, which was part of my predictions. But the government was co-signing everybody's mortgage. And, of course, they still do that. you know. Uh, and so this was very distortive to the free market. So more people were buying houses than would, ha- would have it, you know, without, without all that government help. And they were paying prices that were absurd and that never would exist in a free market. And so I knew this was going to uh, collapse and I knew prices would collapse. And I knew that there would be an ensuing financial crisis because as real estate prices collapsed and mortgages went bad uh, and people started to default on their mortgages, that this would create a banking crisis because all those mortgages are the liabilities in the banking sector or assets rather to the banks. And if all of a sudden those assets are not there, the the whole bank collapses because they need those assets to support their capital structure. So I saw this and, you know, I helped position people to profit and profited uh, through shorting the market. And of course, you know, they, 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 uh, Michael Lewis wrote a book, The Big Short, and they made a movie about it. But not that many people saw that. But, you know, to me, it was very obvious. But what's more important is not that crisis that everybody mixed. But the even bigger crisis that everybody is about to miss, you know, it's the same people and it's the same uh, forces at play. And in fact, all of the problems that led to the 2008 financial crisis have been exacerbated since that crisis. So we haven't solved the problems. We've made them all worse. And so it's the same disease, only we now have a, a, a much more severe case of that disease. And it's about to become inflamed. And, you know, a lot of people are very optimistic about Donald Trump now. Of course, these people were petrified of a Trump presidency right up until the point he was elected. Now everybody is euphoric, at least in the market. But the reason that I, you know, I thought Trump was probably going to win is because I understood what most people in the markets did not. And that was that the recovery that has been, uh, you know, uh, much hyped up by the media and by the Fed and by Obama. And, you know, I knew that it was phony. I knew that there was no real economic growth, that we had a, a reflated bubble masquerading as growth. And I knew that beneath the, the a superficial layer of manufacturer statistics was a very weak economy. And I knew a lot of people would be voting 
uh, you know, for Trump out of frustration and out of anger, out of protest, because people's standard of living was falling. I mean, I often said that this is the first recovery in history to be worse than the recession that we're supposedly recovering from. And so I thought Trump could win. But of course, the economic problems that are the reason Trump was elected have not been solved because we elected him, nor is he going to solve them. The optimism is uh, unfounded, just like people were very hopeful that Barack Obama would make things better and he made things worse. And now you have a lot of false hope uh, surrounding Donald Trump. But we have some serious, serious economic problems that need to be tackled before we can make any legitimate progress. But nobody has the stomach for tackling it. I mean, President-elect uh, Trump, when he ran, he did not run on an austerity program. He wasn't promising, you know, government spending cuts and that, you know, we'd have to suck it up and work harder and spend less and save more and rebuild the economy. He just promised tax cuts and more government spending and, you know, the equivalent of, you know, you're overweight, but I've got a diet of, uh, you know, cupcakes and, and ice cream and, you know, you're going to be able to lose weight. It wasn't like you're going to have to, you know, go to the gym and eat salad. It was, yeah, just elect me and I'm going to make everything great. And, you know, it, it's not that simple. You know, it's interesting because days before the election, analysts were predicting that if Trump were to win, 5% of the market would just collapse that night. And that's exactly what happened. And that night, I actually shorted the market because I thought, I don't get it. Trump wants less regulation and less taxes, which is parallel to what Wall Street wants. And Hillary wants the opposite, higher taxes and more regulation. Why did the, what was the disconnect there with the media? Well, you know, obviously one of the reasons is the media wanted to create a situation where people were worried about voting for Trump so that they wouldn't do it, right? Oh, it's going to be terrible if Trump is elected, so we better not vote for him. Like Brexit or but, Norway. Yeah, but I always said, too, that, look, Trump, if you, you know, if you want to be in the market, you know, Trump is more business friendly, at least his rhetoric, right? He's talking about less regulation and lower taxes, and Hillary is talking about more regulation and higher taxes. So how can that be good? <clears throat> but I think people were worried about the uncertainty of, of saying the status quo, about protectionism or things like that, because it's a very fragile system. I mean, it's the whole thing is a gigantic bubble. In fact, interestingly enough, Donald Trump talked about the bubble in the stock market when he was a candidate. Now, He's claiming credit for the rally. He's like excited about the market going up. <clears throat> but, you know, if it was a bubble before he was elected, it's a bigger bubble now. I mean, it's just more more air in it. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I didn't understand the the reasoning why the market should go down if Trump won. I mean, there are other reasons for the market to go down, like it's very expensive. Uh, but Trump is more market friendly than Clinton. But. The market's going to have a lot of serious problems. I mean, yes, if corporate tax rates are cut, then that would increase the valuation of, of stocks. But stocks have a lot of debt. And I think Americans are broke. And as the economy weakens and interest rates rise, uh, ultimately, the dollar is going to fall and it's going to be very tough for the, the U.S. stock market. But um, it still might go up in nominal terms, but it's not going to make any headway in, in real terms. 
Speaking of the bubble, the Dow is racing to 20,000, and the S&P is already at an all-time high, gaining 29 points today. Two words come to mind from Alan Greenspan, irrational exuberance. Let's begin with the markets. Are they going to continue going up for some time? Well, I think they'll go up for a bit. I mean, I don't know how much longer they'll go up at this pace because the markets are you know, anticipating things that are impossible. So it is irrational, uh, the belief. But again, the people that are buying stocks, you know, like they're going out of style because Trump was elected or were the same people that were saying, well, if Trump wins, it's going to be terrible for stocks. So, you know, it's just it doesn't really matter. It's just a narrative. And, and, and they're making they're trying to spin it in a positive way because that's what Wall Street does. And I do think there were some shorts in the market that are obviously getting squeezed this is a year-end rally. People, you know, people are trying to maybe reposition to look a little better as the year wraps up. But you know, the Fed is talking rate hikes. They might hike rates next week. <clears throat> Long-term interest rates, meanwhile, have already moved up uh, considerably, and they could be moving up much more, which is going to be a huge headwind for the U.S. economy because we have so much debt, and because we have an enormous amount of debt, as interest rates go up. We have to spend a lot more money paying the interest on that debt. And so if we're, if we're spending all this money paying interest on what we borrowed, there's a lot less money left over uh, for, you know, the, re- the economic growth or what other people, you know, to pay for current consumption because you're still paying off prior consumption. I have no doubt. I think the market has already digested that Yellen will say that interest rate is, is going up uh a quarter percent uh, come December. Do you think she'll also mention future quarters? I, know, I, I think that the Fed will try to downplay the expectations for additional tightening. But what's more important is the longer end of the curve. And that's what's really starting to move. Meanwhile, commodity prices are rising. Uh, oil prices back above 50. Copper has been very strong. Uh, commodities in general, I think, are rising. And I think inflation is getting ready to accelerate. And, you know, this is going to just make the pain greater for the average American who's already, you know, suffering a rising cost of living uh, while his you know, paychecks have been diminished. And, you know, I don't see any quick fixes here on the job front. You know, I mean, we're, we're still hemorrhaging uh, full time jobs and creating these low paying part time jobs. And that's not going to you know, turn around, you know, when Trump is inaugurated. Will we ever see maybe a fraction, maybe a you know, high number of jobs coming back to the United States based on what's happening today, repatriation of funds, companies saying they'll bring money back here. Is that a reality or is that just political Well, bringing talk? money back isn't going to necessarily bring any jobs back. <clears throat> you know, we just bring the money home and maybe companies pay out bigger dividends and Americans spend that to buy more right. imported products or maybe they use it to buy back stock. <clears throat> but I don't really see a big increase in productive employment. I mean, we have, you know, a lot of deregulating to do. Um, and Trump talks about it, but we'll, you know, let's see what happens. I mean, it's, you know, regulations are rarely rolled back. You know, government spending needs to be cut. Reagan couldn't even pull that off. And, you know, Reagan promised to cut spending. Trump didn't even make those promises. He, he talked about increasing spending. And, you know, that's likely to happen. You know, we're likely to get some type of middle class tax cut and some type of government spending increases. All of that is just going to add to the deficits and inflation. 
and ultimately, you know, lower standards of living and, and, you know, destroy the value of the dollar. So before President Obama leaves office, we have, what, about $20 trillion of, of debt. And to that, you add $3 trillion for local and state uh, governments. How much more debt can we leave our future generations? And can we really pay it? Oh, no, we can't pay it. I mean, paying it is impossible. But the question is, can we service it? Can we just pay the interest right. on the debt? And the answer to that question is not if interest rates go up. As long as interest rates stay this low, then we can keep paying for a while. But at some point, interest rates have to go up. And if they don't go up because the Fed won't let them go up, then it's the dollar that's going to crash. But one way or another, right, either we default on the debt because we let interest rates go up or we inflate it away because we don't. But either way, the people who are owning the bonds are not going to get paid, right, because either they're going to lose their money or the money is going to lose its value. But they're not going to get back their purchasing power. Going back to the real estate bubble for a moment, why did most of the population ignore the signals of this bubble bursting? Was it because we kept hearing the real estate prices historically never go down? It's a solid investment. What really triggered the people to continue? Well, I think it was, you know, popular delusions and the madness of crowds. I mean, most of the people who didn't see the real estate bubble owned a house. And, you know, they didn't want to admit that the asset that they own, their biggest asset that they thought was going to appreciate indefinitely, uh, they didn't want to acknowledge that it was a bubble because this was their ticket to retirement. I mean, you know, the idea that you can just buy a home and live in it and as you live in it and enjoy it every year, it just goes up in value by $50,000, $100,000. I mean, people, average people, you know, people, if you were a teacher, a school teacher or a fireman, and you were, you know, 40 years old, you thought you'd be a multimillionaire by the time you were 60 because how much your house was going to be worth. And so nobody had to save any money. You can buy whatever you wanted because the house did the work for you. In fact, I think a lot of people didn't even think they needed a job. They just thought if they bought a house, that was the only job they needed. The house would do all the work because it would just keep going up in value and they could keep, you know, borrowing the money. Uh, so nobody wanted to believe it. Of course, you had all the people from the mortgage market and the the realtors. They no, they want they wanted the party to keep going. Uh, so you know there was not that many people that you know that really even wanted to acknowledge this. Nobody wanted it to end. And anybody like me, if I tried to rain on that parade, right? I mean, I was immediately attacked by everybody. You know, so uh, and that's always what happens. You know, when you nobody nobody wants to. You know, you know, you're the bearer of bad news. It's like there's an expression, you know, sh you know, don't shoot the messenger. Well, you know, they used to shoot at me all the time. Nobody wanted that message. Well, you, you've been criticized by Ben Stein and, 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 and the rest of them all the time. What do they say now, by the way? Is it usually first they laugh at you, then when you're right? Well, you were right all along. No, but then they still don't want to. Then they say you were just lucky or you were a stop clock, you know. But, ben, you know, Ben said a lot of good things about me um, recently. In fact, he even did a blurb on my my latest book, uh, which is the, the Real Crash, America's Coming Bankruptcy, How to Save Yourself and Your Country. And if you haven't read that book, uh, you should pick it up, you know, get it on Amazon. Or, you know, I have my own uh, site where I sell my books, too, or link to my books, shiftbooks.com. So you can, uh, you know, just go there as, you know, shift books. But oh, by the way, a great book that I have, I'm doing a, a holiday special on this book, is um, a collector's edition of my book, How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. It's an illustrated 
kind of cartoon book on economics that I think is an excellent primer for teenagers, young adults, but of course anybody can read it. But it really is a great introduction to free market economics. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.